Good morning, afternoon, or evening, whenever and wherever you are. On this week's episode of Greetings From, we discuss a game from 2015, The Order 1886. We take a deep dive and discuss the strengths and weaknesses, the controversy surrounding it, and the many development challenges it faced. This episode is very old, from a time when we were still figuring out what this podcast should be. This is what we call our third Lost episode from December 2017. We do spoil the Order 1886 entirely, so if you haven't played the game and don't want it to be spoiled, skip this episode entirely. Otherwise, we'll see you next time in the present. Enjoy! Greetings from Whitechapel, travelers. It is December of 2017, as far as you know, and today we'll be exploring the Order 1886. Um, so my name is Rebecca. I'll be your host today. I almost forgot that I had introduced myself on this <laughs> podcast of ours. Um, I'm joined by Olivia. Hi. And Tyler. What's up? <laughs> so I am glad I could gather you all here today um, to talk about a game that I love dearly, even though it's a hot piece of garbage. Um, and that's The Order 1886. So The Order 1886, I believe, was meant to be a launch title for the PlayStation 4. Um, back when that released in, what was it, 20, 2014? Is that when? So long ago. I know. Um, so it was meant to be a launch title. It got pushed back. Um, there were some interesting kind of development hell things that happened. Um, one thing I think is interesting about playing this game is we also played um, No Man's Sky, and both No Man's Sky and The Order were um, Sony first parties. Mm-hmm. And it's interesting to see kind of what happened there where, you know, No Man's Sky also didn't quite deliver what it was promised. And, you know, I don't know if Hello Games can salvage its reputation. It's kind of stuck just continually fixing this game and trying to iterate on it and, and hit the promises that it, it said it was going to hit. Um, but then at the same time... Sony did not drop them as a first party. Like, Sony is still supposedly backing it, right? Yeah. Um, Ready at Dawn got dropped by Sony. Um, they own the Order IP, so if there was ever to be another game in the Order series, it would not be done by Ready at Dawn. However, because Ready at Dawn got dropped, they are still making games. They made Deformers, which was kind of a weird platformer-type like fighting game. I don't know. And now, most recently, they've done Lone Echo, which I heard was really good for the um, for VR. I think it's on PlayStation VR and is that the the Vive or Oculus? You're in space. You're in space. Oh, okay. I was going to say, is that the Echo game where you're like blind and you can only see the surrounding with the Echo location? No. Okay. That one's just called Echo. Okay. Sorry. Different I game, know. But anyway, it, they also there's too do... many games with the same names. <laughs> do they also do Echo Arena? Is that part of this? Yeah, so Echo Arena is the like <clears throat> multiplayer component to Lone Echo, so it's like zero gravity basketball played in VR. It's like Ender's Game, kind of, right? That's kind of like kind of, yeah, yeah, yeah. So that's that's where Ready at Dawn is now. This is where they're coming from. Um, so the order has a a dear place in my heart because I believed in it. Like I believed in what I thought it it was and what it could do. Um, I think playing it now, several years later, this came out in uh, February of 2015. I don't know. I, I'm interested to hear your guys' thoughts. Like, you know, I'm wondering, um, this was your first time playing it, right? Across the board. Um, it was for me. 
It, uh, yeah, I mean, uh, yes, it's my first time finishing it. I did play it when it had initially released for like okay. 30 minutes, and then I dropped the game. Um, okay. So, oh, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I was wondering, I, I was wondering if I was missing context for this game. Is there mm-hmm. extra material that was released along with it that maybe I didn't see? Like, is there like a comic or something that went with it? So they're not as far as I'm aware. Um, when the game released, it released in a like a regular, like a general format, and then it released in a special edition, which came with um, a Blackwater vial. And like I have it, I should take, I should have taken pictures so you guys could have seen it. But it's like a big statue of Galahad shooting at a lichen, like it's this huge, mm-hmm. ugly thing. Um, and then after the game re- was released, um, the Blackwater Archives came out, which is like a 350-page art book slash sort of treatise on what the game was, what they were trying to do with it, that kind of a thing. Um, that's it. Um, yeah. It was clear that they were setting it up to be a series, and then obviously that didn't happen and maybe will never happen. Right. So I think there's definitely, if you feel like you're missing context, I think it's because there just isn't any, which is unfortunate. Um Tyler, I'm curious to hear your opinion. So you said you played it for 30 minutes and then dropped it. Um, yeah. Talk to me about that. Why did you drop it? Did you, Was it not hooking you? Did you um, have time? So there, let's see here. This is a long time ago. Um, when it initially came out, I think my, my roommate at the time, he like rented it from Redbox or something. I don't remember exactly, but it was, it was a rental. He didn't actually own it. He's like, I just, I heard about this game. I just, I, I'm just going to get it. I'm going to rent it. So he did. <clears throat> um, but he didn't play it. I ended up playing it. And uh, it was it was very slow at first. Um, I only played it for like 30 minutes. Like I just, I went through the initial part where you're with, uh, was it Sir Galahad? Um, and you just kind of go through his his opening story. And I, I basically got to the part where uh, you meet um, Lady Egraine. And like after okay. that, like I don't know why, I just, I dropped it. Um, previously, or prior prior to it being released, I had seen it at PAX, uh, I think it was 2014. Um, and I played a demo there. Uh, and unfortunately, that demo wasn't that great, unfortunately. Um, <clears throat> reason being because the the game itself is is very um, cutscene. It has a lot of it very seamlessly integrates cutscenes into gameplay. So it's a little confusing to know where it's a cut. If it's is this a cutscene or is this? Am I able to now play? Do I have control of the character? So you're kind of throttling the controls to see if you're able to move yet or if it's still a movie. Um, and then anyway, the the um, the demo itself pretty much was five minutes of gameplay. I had waited like three hours in this line to play this demo. And it was like five minutes of cutscene, five minutes of gameplay, and like another 10 minutes of cutscene, and that was it. So that wasn't a great experience for me personally because it was just like I waited three hours in line for this short of a demo that's kind of like bullshit. Um not to say like I I know it's it's awful things they say but like that's just that was my initial impression of this game and then so then when it was released in 2015 you know I started playing it and the 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 beginning of the game did not grip me and I was very like I, you know when I played it it had again the the this is a cutscene this isn't a cutscene um and it was I was just like I this is this entire game is going to be this way I just don't want to play it um 
having played it now all the way through, I am very disappointed in my past self because it definitely, <laughs> like, <laughs> um, it yes, it has its problems, but this game has so much potential. I'm I'm super sad that it it received the uh, uh, reviews and ratings that it did. And I'm I'm a little disheartened that it couldn't have been the game that um, the studio wanted it to be, or even that Sony wanted it to be. Um, I feel like this game, you know, at the at this time that this game came out, I feel like it was PlayStation or Sony's um, answer to Microsoft's Rise game, which was I feel like it's almost the same thing, um, you know, the 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 Roman game um that came out for the xbox uh three xbox one, one. excuse me yeah. when they released that um <laughs> i'm glad we're already on the xbox three <laughs> right. you're living in 30 say xbox right 360 but anyway i'm from the future i can't tell you <laughs> um <laughs> that's the xbox one three x whatever the fuck because that that's gonna be absurd oh right <laughs> um anyway uh you know the rise was basically to showcase how x the xbox one their graphics and everything. And it was very like um, very movie, the game where it was a cutscene, and then you had gameplay. Um, and so Sony, I feel like had, they had uh, the order to showcase PS4s um, graphics and, and integration of cutscenes into gameplay. Um, so that's, right. that's my like first hands-on of the game. Um, I think, I think that's an interesting point that I, I definitely want to just touch on a little bit here um, before we really get deep into the story. Um, in the Blackwater Archives, which is the art book, the developers describe the Order as being a neo-Victorian Blade Runner. Um, they talk about how they patterned Galahad a lot after Deckard and how they had tried to kind of draw on the the whole like Tears in the Rain sequence um, for Alistair's kind of final... Um, monologue. Mm -hmm. So I, I'm curious in terms of these sort of photorealistic games, these sort of movie-based games, um, do these kinds of games, do you feel like, and, and maybe Olivia, I'm interested to hear your, your thoughts on this one, do you feel like these have a place in the lexicon? Like, do you feel like games are doing this kind of a thing better now than they have in the past? Is it something that's even worth doing? Yeah. I, I definitely think that there is a place for games that are like narrative-based, that try to tell a story and like I, I don't know if the order succeeds at that, but I, I think even in our previous, you know, when we talked about um, Until Dawn and like how mm -hmm. they use like real player scan, like real actor scans to fit into this world. And like there is a, you know, you're it's a very limited motion game. Like you're not doing a lot in there except for holding a controller, um, you know, as still as possible in some scenes. You know, I think there are, I, I agree with Tyler, like the rise has, like I could see the parallels between that and between Until mm -hmm. Dawn. Um you know, I have some issues, I think, with the storytelling inside of um, The Order, especially with comparisons to Blade Runner, because I yeah. feel like Blade Runner, you know, like, that story is painted through, like, hey, here's this imagery throughout the world, here's, like, this oppressive kind of, you know, whole dystopia that you're living in. And I, I think there are parallels in The Order where they try to, like, evoke that, but it just seemed, like, that final scene to me seemed a little... um like simplistic like it's kind of like taking that tears in the rain scene and removing all context from it and just being like oh shit he's a vampire he's a werewolf we have to kill him like that's that was the thought process that was happening from like does this really matter like or what is what is the context here and like 
it seems like Galahad should be super pissed at the guy who like has betrayed the order and like had this whole fucked up plan. And I, I was just, I guess I was just confused and maybe I wasn't paying enough sure. attention um, to the story, but I, I feel like I tried to keep up with, it. I didn't find all the secrets in the, in the game, but mm-hmm. it seemed like there was bits and pieces in the story that maybe weren't cohesive. And the question I kept asking myself was how did this get made? And like, not in a bad yeah. way, but in terms of like, what were the production issues that happened and like who signed this talent before there was a um, maybe a cohesive plotline, or like what were the cuts that were made? Because I feel like this was probably like butchered together from like several different game iterations, and uh-huh. the fi- this is the final product that was like put through the ringer in terms of like the development hell, like you were talking about. Does that match with your exp- your experience? Yeah, it's interesting because I have tried even in the years since to do digging on like what what happened, because um, I know I'm gonna reference the freaking art book like a million times but it's clear reading those pages that this was something that the team really believed in that this was a real visionary kind of product they had in their minds and it's not clear where that all fell apart and the studio's been really mum about what happened with sony it seemed like they got kind of rushed out the door Mm -hmm. and it was just kind of like this is sort of all we have and we're just going to put it out there because it's even really disjointed based on like i don't know if you guys remember I want to say it was like E3 2014, maybe E3 2013 when it was showing some of the initial um, trailers yes, for the order. Right. There was definitely that Bioshock Infinite thing where it's like that game that's in that trailer is nothing like the game we actually got at the end. Right. Um, but the steps that happened along the way maybe are not totally clear. Um, so I'm curious. And Tyler, I think because you have the most experience with this, that maybe you can, like, maybe you have a good take on this. Do you feel like the game's marketing and the price point kind of clouded its ability to be well-received? Like, if this was instead put out there as an AA game, something that was maybe just an eight-hour experience and maybe it wasn't $60, do you think people would have, have hated it the way that they did? Yeah, um, that's a that's a good question because this game was it was marketed triple uh, a sixty dollars and the game itself i mean personally me it, t- it took me 10 hours to complete the game but i i know that <clears throat> the criticism around this game a lot of it is hey this took me four hours to complete and like a lot of it was just cut scene um so i don't know why i paid sixty dollars for this this game that shows so short, you know, it's kind of a money spent uh, versus value gained uh, argument. But um, if if it was, I feel like yes, if it was cheaper, there would have been less backlash. But I still feel like even if it was thirty dollars, uh, like the money amount doesn't really matter. It's more the way that they had built up this this universe this game um and what it actually turned out to be it, there would s- people would still kind of be up at arms um i'm trying to remember and maybe it was just because so long ago but i i honestly don't remember too much marketing for this game i mean i know i i experienced it at, you know at the at the pax 2014 um and obviously e3 showcased it but Beyond that, I I really don't remember there being a whole bunch of marketing for this game. Um, people knew about it, and obviously it came out, and and people bought it. But uh, I I don't feel like this game was marketed uh, as much as other games have been marketed. 
Um, like especially for a first party Sony product. That's like yeah. right. their like initial lineup. It does feel like they maybe sent this game out to die. Did you get that, mm-hmm. that feeling, Rebecca? Yeah, I, I definitely got that feeling. Um, and I think it was difficult because it was billed as go- as something that was going to be a launch title, like a big launch title for the studio. And then, I mean, I don't know if you guys remember, but a lot of those first party uh, launch titles kind of fell through, like Infamous kind of fell through, this one fell through. And so, you know, like when the PS4 launched, we had Knack, which is a cinematic masterpiece, obviously. Right. And <laughs> we had like kill zone and so we ended up having these games that were like not very substantial but just ended up making this console look really powerful um and so i felt like when this came out it almost seemed like it was just a year too late like if it had come out at launch maybe it would have been like oh yeah like this looks good on the ps4 it's fine that the story is whatever um but i feel like it came like i don't know whatever the, the issues were internally whatever the issues were at the studio it i do feel like it was sent out to die and it was killed and on top of that, it, I mean, it just, that's it. There's no it, chance for like resurrection. It's, it's not Yeah, like there's it's, basically no chance for It's not like, you know, a Kings of Babylon where, well, the IP is floating around out there somewhere. Eventually, one day, it will have a sequel. But, like, you know, it's that's not the case with this. It's, like, in the ground forever. So. And I, I really wonder, because it seems like this was not a cheap production, like, in terms no. of no. the technology that went into it, the talent they that they They built hired. a whole studio for them to right. do the mocapping. It, it just seems like between this and Until Dawn, where it's like, hey, we're going to go really hard on this like motion capture aspect. And this is where I kind of, I, I think about Rise as well, where it's like, it's a launch title. There isn't much, but it looks amazing. Like, it looks like a great game. And I, yeah. really, I do question, like, Rise got roasted at its release as well from the critical press. And I, I, I feel like that would be the same way if, like, the order was released at launch, even if it was in the same mm-hmm. exact quality. I don't think it would have performed much better. Like, it would have had that initial sales boost, I think, just from being a launch title. But oh, that's interesting. I think the um, actual critical reception of the order, I, 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 you know, I question what, what their pitch was, like, in terms mm-hmm. of, you look at Until Dawn and how they retooled that game, and it's like, oh, it's like a horror movie for your friends. Whereas this seems like kind of a, a Victorian, you know, cy- goth, not cyberpunk, what's the word, um, steampunk, steampunk kind of take on it. Like, sure. I, we were we were talking about that. There's that Horizon um, documentary by Danny O'Dwyer, the No Clip documentary, mm-hmm. and they go into Gorilla talking about their pitch for like a steampunk kind of product, and then oh, here's um, the order which was pitched before them, and so they were like, oh, well, this was kind of a weird expectation thing where yeah. we both wanted to have a similar product, mm-hmm. and I, I don't know if that pitch that they gave internally ever really was made strongly outside of there at least in in my experience of what i saw i didn't see like here's what this is going to be you know i just kind of saw oh it's a weird maybe possibly four player co-op experience which it never was so did you feel like you had a clear vision of what the game was when it was coming out nope yeah (laughs) no because um so like i think my expectation before i had any like hands-on experience with it um from e3 it it had this like mysterious steampunk uh werewolf vampire hunter um kind of vibe to it where and i think uh around this time you know bloodborne was also circulating or like it was around that time bloodborne was also out which was also like a victorian era story too um but anyway the 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 order looked more like it was like a steampunk hunting vampires game or, or something like that where you're dealing with the occult 
um, and there are like monsters, and so you're just kind of protecting the city from these monsters. We don't really know what's going on though, and like that's that was my expectation going into the game, um, and unfortunately, mm-hmm. that's just not what happens um or like what even the universe really is about um which is really weird and so i don't know what their um initial take the devs game the the devs vision of this game if that was what it was supposed to be or if it was supposed to be more like the e3 um uh game that they had in mind and maybe you know development hell who knows what happened really but Mm -hmm. um i find it very difficult to believe that the final product was truly their like actual vision. Um, I agree. And I, I think they were stuck standing by something that maybe they didn't hundred percent believe in, but it was like their baby, so to speak, um, especially seeing their kind of team lead talk about it. It's clear that he had a lot of aspirations that maybe didn't come to fruition. Um, so You know, with that said, I feel like obviously we have to kind of get into the highs and lows of this game. And a lot of that comes in the form of the story, the setting, um, a lot of the cinematic combat, the environmental storytelling. You know, there's a lot of things that we can touch on here. So The Order 1886, of course, is the story of an order of knights descendant from the Knights of the Round Table, who are sort of immortal humans who they say that they sort of serve no one. But their goal is to be kind of supernatural peacekeepers. Um, They're able to do what normal soldiers can't. They're not tied to military um, or anything. And they're also able to handle things like werewolves and vampires and these kind of threats that maybe the general public should not necessarily know about. Um, They're also extremely fucky. That was kind of weird to me. It was (laughs) a lot of really attractive people with mustaches. Um, So that... That was very, very weird and interesting. Um, so it's also an alternate reality, which is something that is a huge part of the story, but it's also kind of tricky to work through. Um, the Marquis de Lafayette, now like 160 years old, is <laughs> one of the members of the order. He's the youngest. Um, Lakshmi Bai, who was uh, a freedom fighter in India, is also here for no reason. And Nikola Tesla is just hanging out. Um, we're all here together in this cool world of ours. So I'm curious. And Olivia, I, I'm interested to hear from you because I know that we have a similar English background. Mm-hmm. So I feel like... You know, lots of people like to lean into the whole Knights of the Round Table thing. Did you feel like it was used well? No. Here? Like, did you feel like it? <laughs> did you feel like it made I, any I sense I, at all? I was very, you know, as a person who had to take, you know, like Arthurian legend in college. I guess I just uh-huh. kept wondering what was the connection. It wasn't super explained well. Like, I was mm-hmm. like, is they they make references to Arthur as like this lost king, and I was like, mm-hmm. okay, is this actually like a what is the difference between Arthurian legend and like what the real connection to this reality is? Cause mm. I didn't really understand it. Um, I also feel like when we're talking about uh, Nikola Tesla and like these kind of, you know, stereotypical steampunk characters, it, it just felt really out of place to me because mm. I, I just wondered what was the kind of hook there. They have these extremely fucky characters, which hey, I'm down for <laughs> like, that's cool. But yeah. um, right. Always I just kind of, 
I mean, it just seemed like a mischaracterization of everyone involved. You know, like when we talk about Lafayette constantly talking about when people stand in the way of liberté. And like, I didn't understand where well, I'm like, you're fighting for an empire that's oppressing people. This doesn't seem like something that Lafayette would do, considering he fought against the British in, the, in like the Civil War. Like, what is the connection here? Um, and that was just something that personally bothered me. I know I'm getting a little impassioned here. about. Well, the- I mean, it is weird that Lafayette, like at the very end of the story was like, Lafayette is a friend to liberty. Lafayette only speaks in the third person now for no reason. Yeah. Like, what? Yeah, it just seemed like maybe, like, who was Galahad supposed to be? Like, what was his real? Was he inspired by someone that I didn't really get? Um, I, he was inspired by Rick Deckard. Um, <laughs> he, I mean, so that, I mean, that was one of my questions. So I, I'm interested to hear your thoughts on that. Like, what is Sir Galahad's deal? Like, it's clear from the beginning that he is extremely loyal to this order. He's like an extremely rule following by the books kind of stern guy. Um, and then he kind of loses his shit. It goes all over the rails. And then the story just goes like up and down and up and down and up and down. And then it's over. And he turns into Batman. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, so I, maybe Tyler, you could talk to me a little bit about this. Like, what sense of Galahad did you have? Like, what are his loyalties? What kind of a person is he? What are his motivations? Um, well, before I talk about Galahad, I just want to touch on Nicola. Honestly, uh, when I, like, met Nicola, uh, or Nikolai, whatever you want to call him, the te- Tesla, Mr. Tesla, he felt like, uh, you know, uh, James Bond Q. Like he was just mm-hmm. in his little mm-hmm. basement dungeon and your only interaction with him is just getting a cool gadget, uh, which you only use a few times, by the way. It's not like a cool gun or anything. It's literally just like, uh, which honestly, I, I did enjoy the gadget gave me. But like it was anyway, I was, <laughs> I was just like, you know, my interaction with him was just like, eh, you're just you're just a Q. You're just uh, this this scientist inventor guy whose only purpose in this game is to just give me a gadget that will help me in the future. Who knows when, but it will. Um, and beyond that, like it wasn't, you know, he, his character wasn't that really well fleshed out or anything. And uh, I don't know. Um, moving on to Galahad though. Um, so yeah, he, I mean, he's, he's, he's supposed to be the good guy. Um, and he, he is, but it, it is a little, his lines are a little blurred because like olivia said you're like fighting for this empire that is in suppressing their people considerably like i think there's even mention of um a revolt uh happening or on the rise uh because of just it's you know poor versus rich um and you you get the sense that yes sir galahad he has this uh very esoteric um nobel uh agenda which is just to to fucking do his job of of separating the supernatural world from the the real world or or you know the the society um so that it's, normal people don't have to sorry, do it. i don't mean to interrupt but is that actually the case because it seemed like the the citizenship knew that there was shit happening yeah well that's robots. the other thing too though is is that like even though they're supposed to like have everything kind of hush hush people fucking knew about these the oh god i don't remember what was the name am of- i misremembering that like rebecca is the that half true? oh the half the half i think it was like some people knew and then some people it was almost no it was almost like the rats um 
and dishonored. Like people, yeah, you know, like it was like the poor people who were being picked off by these things, right? Mm-hmm. You know, the rich people didn't really have to worry about it. It was more the underclass uh, who had to worry about these diseases and and like monsters. Um, anyway, but. I'm, yeah. gu- I'm guessing the point there was that the half-breeds were all of the high-class people and the right. low-class people were the ones being eaten by the half-breeds. Right. <laughs> right. Okay, that makes sense. So, um, but but yeah, Sir Gallad had just is going to do whatever the fuck he wants. Uh, <laughs> that's pretty evident as far as the story sure. goes. Did, um, but yeah, I don't know. Olivia, what were your thoughts? Did we get like a clear motivation for the order besides yeah. like, oh, we're going to you know fight off the... Like their whole purpose as stated by... Lancelot, he's the old guy, right? Remember that correctly? Lancelot is. Um, I don't think he was supposed to be Lancelot. I think he. They just kept calling him the High Chancellor. Okay. He's the Chancellor. Um, yeah. He's just the. I, I, for some reason, I thought he was Lancelot because I kept being like, "Oh yeah, of course, no. Lafayette's gonna be Lancelot because he's French," and then it wasn't, and I was just like, "You're killing me." I'm I'm confused. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <I know. laughs> uh, so I, I guess I just was wondering, like, what are is it? Are they queen and country? Like, is that kind of their thing? Because I could see that, you know, if they're like. Right, they're the queens, of... the queens' knights, right? Like that was the thing. Yeah, I kind of got that vibe that they they were, f- they worked for, or like at least the chancellor was the one who was, uh, kind of talking to the queen, and she was kind of giving him orders, but it wasn't, you know, the order always had their own agenda. But again, their agenda mm-hmm. is to just keep peace between the mm-hmm. supernatural world and just regular folk, um, and. And maybe the queen like had a hand in like the chancellor uh, influencing him, but I highly doubt it. I feel like it's the other way around that the the, the order or the chancellor was basically just kind of meeting with the queen because he had to, or because he had to keep up that appearance of he's still compliant well, with the crown. I don't know. I, I know we're kind of going all the Sorry. place, but I was also wondering like what the there there seemed like there was a missing plot line based on one of the like collectibles you find where it's like where's the queen? Is she actually real? And then there's all the um, kind of like rebels who are like talking about like overthrowing the queen who isn't actually there. Did did you guys pick up on that as well? Yeah. It. Yes. I. I knew that it was supposed to be. Was it? It's. It was still Queen Victoria in the right. In yeah. The canon. It's... Right. They hadn't changed that. I know that she basically kind of disappeared from public life when, in her old age, especially because she had been in mourning from her, you know, Prince Albert for years. And so I don't mm. know if that was what they were trying to play off of. Um, I feel like it's maybe a moment of nuance that didn't quite follow through. Like I, I think one of the issues with this game, obviously, is that there's a lot of potential that it doesn't quite reach, and whatever reason that is, development time or just I don't know ability. I don't know. Yeah. Um, but I, to that point, I get the sense that there were a lot of people in the order who believed the order was doing different things than maybe what it was doing. And so you get someone like Galahad, who's very much like, we bow to nobody. And then you get someone like the Lord Chancellor, who obviously is trying to kind of run this whole community of people based on the fact that he's trying to protect his adopted son. And, you know, then there's this level of like, well, these people are giving us money and they have seats on our council. And so, of course, we're going to ship vampires all over the world for no reason. You know what I mean? So I, I was kind of under the impression that I'm guessing that's what another game would have tried to discuss is sort of this idea that the order itself was like split in a lot of different ways with people kind of all over the board trying to use it to their own mm-hmm. devices so i i don't think it is ever actually explicitly said this is what they do did well, since we're talking about galahad did you think 
I kept wondering, like, these people are immortal. They've lived for hundreds of years. Yeah. They should know that this shit happens. Like, they are not, right. like, Twilight vampires. Like, that's what the kind of, like, the connection I kept thinking about was, like, you have lived for hundreds of years and experienced, like, multiple revolutions and, right. like, different changing monarchies and all that stuff. You should know, like, your place in this world and how, like, you could mm-hmm. be abused or used. And I kept wondering, like, where where is that information? Like, it seems like Galahad was, like, a straight and narrow kind of dude. But I'm like, you've lived for hundreds of years. You've had to have, like, some shades of gray from seeing this. And that was one of my main complaints where I was like, him and a grain are just like, oh, hey, what's up? Like, we're going to have, maybe we'll have a relationship, maybe not. And then <laughs> also, like, there's fucking vampires and shit. Like, we should be more understanding of the world. But, you know, maybe I'm reading too much into him being, a, he could just be a soldier, you know, who doesn't care about that stuff. Did you guys get any of that dissonance as well? Yeah, you know, I wanted to talk about Agreen. Like, I wanted to bring her up because I get that they kind of position her as a foil to Galahad um, in the sense that, like, she was his protege the way that he was Percival's protege. Um, Sebastian Mallory, I should say, not um, Lafayette's. But, you know, she is kind of an interesting character because obviously she's a woman in a position of power during the late Victorian era when women had no power at all. Um, and so there's clearly this, like, they inter- the way they introduce her is, like, some police officer being like, oh, is that gun too big for you, or is it too heavy, or do you need help, or whatever, and then she's very flippant, like, you know, like, she, yeah. has, to, she has something to prove, but I feel like she was not well written, mm-hmm. and I think she was done kind of a disservice, because it's like, the whole thing where she kind of turns on Galahad seems like it's born out of a romantic jealousy mm-hmm. and not out of some kind of loyalty. And it's unclear why she is also not more understanding, like how, if they're all centuries old, like what you said, Olivia, why is there not more understanding? Olivia, do you, how did, how did Igreen read to you, especially, you know, against Galahad? I, I do want to make sure I like the, the, the turn that she takes is when she sees Galahad with the other woman. Like, I think it's right. Lakshmi. And I thought that was like a, pretty fucked reading of the way that she would work as like two like soldiers or like you know comrades at arms and stuff like that Mm -hmm. and then also like you know even if they do have a romantic relationship like her whole character arc is like oh i trust you and then i see you with another woman and like fuck this i'm done you know and i thought that was as you're saying it was a huge disservice to the character who you know was already kind of leading these like action girl tropes of like oh Mm -hmm. i'm the badass girl in the group and then to have this additional, like, oh, I'm also, like, feel jilted, and because of that, I'm going to kill everything. Like, that, I think, upset me a little bit. Did you, did yeah. you get that reading as well, everyone? Um, Yeah, kind of. I mean, basically, because if, if it's not ever implied... Well, no, it is. It is implied that maybe Sir Galahad and Igrain had a relationship in the past, um, or that they may be involved, you know, in this story that's being told, but they never are romantically involved at any point in the story. So whatever they whatever her problem is or whatever um <clears throat> whatever relationship that they have uh it was something that happened a long time ago. And you know like you said Olivia these guys have been alive for centuries. <laughs> um like was this like the beginning like 200 years ago and she's still fucking like not over it and like what kind of level of relationship was it where you're not over it 200 years later um and then even like even then like she like she does fit that i am the the girl in the boys club i can handle myself like don't you worry about me and then she gets fucking 
sidelined by some other chick uh, who like doesn't play that big of a no, she's like not that important or everything and Galahad and her and this other girl don't have a relationship at all like it's literally just you know for information um, that he's right. with her and like it's I don't know it's really weird I don't I don't know maybe they maybe the studio originally or the writers originally had uh maybe two different scenarios for her and they weren't which just they couldn't really decide which one to go with whether she was going to be like a jilted lover or like this really stalwart uh soldier and somehow they put both into the story but like forgot to connect the dots or something or forgot and to do something i don't know for her to like make that connection i feel like galahad had to do some stupid things and i don't know if you guys agree with that but like the whole like I'm not gonna communicate about me going to talk to this rebel group that we haven't trusted, and I'm mm, gonna make a whole right. like change of allegiances. Just felt really unearned in my experience. Like I was just wondering, like why wouldn't he try to talk to this a green person who he had like a super special relationship with? They like literally like died and come back to life through a, van- a werewolf like in the last 24 hours. I think you guys should have you know a closer connection. And I just kept wondering, like okay, Sir Galahad, you've like I know you've lost your you know mentor and friend, but like. You're doing some, like, outlandish stuff, like, trying to take over a, you know, airship without, like, trying to get more support for your cause. Right. I, I don't know if either of you felt that way when it came to, like, hey, for a grain to be pissed, we have to make Galahad do unrealistic stuff. But that was kind of my read on it. I think it was another one of those points where it's sort of not clear where the direction was going on that, because I, different to what Tyler was saying, I read their relationship as being something that it sounded like, because when they're in the asylum, uh, in the hospital level, um, at one point, um, Galahad says something to the effect of, like, you know, why won't, like, when will you decide to listen to me? And she says, well, you'll have to get father's permission first, like, to marry me, right? And it seemed almost as like Galahad was the one putting the brakes on that, like some sort of duty to the order or some kind of overarching fulfilling whatever mm-hmm. um, was keeping him from falling into that, like, we're going to get married secretly or whatever, where Igraine was almost more flexible on that. Like, she was like, who cares? Just, you know, like, let's just do it or whatever. And so I think it seems like a stupid move for him to not let her in. But at the same time, it seemed like based on his conversations with Mallory and based on Mallory basically dying in the, you know, airship Crystal Palace disaster um, and knowing that Mallory was had been talking to the shady hooded figure guy who's like hanging around. um, It seemed like he was trying to protect Igraine, like he was trying to not kind of drag her down this you know, hole with him because he didn't know where it was going to go. And he knew that you know, based on Mallory's funeral and the Lord Chancellor is like, well, he was egotistical and he pursued his own things and he deserved to die. And then Alistair being like, that was kind of mean, actually. Um, I feel like he understood the gravity of what he was doing. Mm-hmm. And so I assumed that that kind of narrative dissonant break was him trying to be like, I don't want to bring her and I don't want to bring Lafayette into it because I don't want them to like go down on a ship for something that I think is right because I could be wrong. She- that was the reading I got. Gotcha. Does she explicitly state something like I, I remember when she's like injured and they're in the asylum and then she mm-hmm. says something like people like us don't get to be happy or like don't get to yeah. be together. Right. She, so there was like an explicit like, hey, like we would be together if our like cause or like job role wasn't preventing us. Is that right? right? Yeah. Okay. And that's an interesting point, too, because it, it kind of alludes to this 
sterilization um, for being in the order, um, either by like the the blood that they ingest or like they literally kind of <laughs> mutilate their genitals uh, so they can't have... Wait, where did you get that part from? Because she was like, we can't be happy. I thought she was kind of like referencing them. I think that was I think that was the rules of the order. I don't think oh, that, that had anything okay. to do with... Well, I don't know. I just got... I had this... Level. I had the... Well, I, I totally didn't yeah, like, level. Where we're not, I don't think we like, played the same game. They're not allowed game, you know? to have babies. <laughs> like, are they, it's not that they aren't allowed to, but like they physically cannot because this uh, substance that they have to consume to be in the order is like you know prevents them from doing so i don't know that is an interesting thought though because that reminds me of and i know that next no we're we're recording this at a different point in time so i can't say next month but i know that our march cast is um dragon age origins yes which is the concept of a blood making someone sterile like that is a that is like tied into this like magical blood thing Mm -hmm. And so I could see from that end, that is a trope that has been used before. And so that would be an interesting way to think about it. Um, sorry, that just, just made me think no, of the... Yeah. Of the well, that's kind of like what I thought to, so too. And I was like, okay, that's interesting. Um, but anyway, uh, Olivia, were you saying something? I can't remember. Um, you know, I, I think just to pick it back up on like where the order like lies and their intentions and like how this plays into the romantic love of the characters mm-hmm. I, I guess I, I agree with you when we talk about how like when you were brought up specifically how like their patrons and like every single member of the order maybe had their own like long-term vision for what they were going to do mm-hmm. I, I think I I would hope that maybe that was part of the original game plan where it was like hey we're going to show off you know the different facets of the order and I feel like a lot of that stuff was probably cut because you right. know, we don't get any of it I feel like there was a bigger vision about what this project was going to be in terms of the game and how yeah. like they were going to politically position everyone. Because I feel like it's such an interesting time to talk about like, you know, the East India Company and how that like plays into colonization across the country or across the world. Um, and I, I just guess I really missed that aspect of it. Like something critical, like was the part that I, I wanted and maybe it was told through subtext, but I didn't really get any. Like, hey, maybe colonization is bad. Hey, maybe, like, except for explicitly, like, we brought vampires to India. And, like, <laughs> fuck, wasn't that shitty? Like, I guess right. I guess that was the yeah. part that I kept wondering. Where I'm like, no, there was more to that. Like, there was more to, like, why colonization was bad than, than vampires coming in. Right. And, you know, I think that was the part that I really missed where I'm like, hey, we're doing bad shit. What was our intention for doing that? And, like, them trying to justify why colonization was needed or, like, why they're, like, oppressing the poor people and, like, sex workers in the one shitty part of town they have to keep going back to. I like, I, I just want something critical coming from their perspective. And I never saw that. And yeah, I, I guess that's, that was my main issue where I'm like, why are you doing this? You aren't like explicitly telling us why. And I don't know why. So yeah, absolutely. To follow up on that. I think too, the game also tried to leverage its own like historical alt history telling because it put in Lakshmi Bai, it put in the Marquis de Lafayette to sort of be like, here are some very iconic freedom fighters that people probably will have uh, some kind of reference for. Um, And I almost feel like that was meant to kind of signal some kind of larger storyline. You know what I mean? Like some kind of, I I don't know. I think it's like to what you said, like, is this supposed to be a treatise on colonization? Is this supposed to be a treatise on what freedom really means? Is this supposed to be a treatise on like democracy? Is this supposed to be a treatise on capitalism? Mm -hmm. You know, where was that going? Did you, did you guys, 
I guess, did the use of those freedom fighters, did that mean anything to you? Were you ever like, I see where this is going? Or did that feel really out of left field? Um, I think go ahead. specifically for um, Lafayette, I just kept like his characterization as a playboy, like that almost like French stereotype in terms mm-hmm. of like, oh, it's like the Pepe Le Pew kind of dude who's like always going around like, Hitting on people and like trying to get his jollies or whatever. Um, <laughs> I thought of him as com- like a um, fucking Dragon Age. He was the Dorian of Dragon Age in the Order. <laughs> anyway, uh, continue. I-, I guess I just wondered like why. What it could this could be anyone? You know what I mean? Like there's nothing. Mm-hmm. He all he kept saying was like, "Oh, I fought in America," and people are like going crazy about that. And it just seemed completely antithetical to like who. Lafayette in the modern context of America, what he represents. Mm-hmm. And then for Lakshmi, it just seemed like you're the only person of color here. And of course, you're going to be someone. Kinda. Yeah, I, I just right. kept wondering, like, they just want to put someone in here who is like, you know, a person of color who represents that perspective. And, you know, I can't read into their intentions, but that's what it felt like to me in terms of like, hey, we need some other aspect and like colonization is bad. That's kind of how I read it. But you know, I know it's a super baseline take. What did you think, Tyler? Um, I mean, it, it wasn't, uh, it was just, I feel like it was just like another thing. Like they, they could have had a different story arc that was going on there and maybe had to cut it short and that's what we got. Um, but I feel like it was just kind of misplaced. Honestly, it was just, it was just like, well, you know, we're, we're following, we just had our first interaction with the supernatural but here we are now going to add another angle to the story, which is actually, uh, you know, that there is a rebellion. Uh, there, there, are, there are two rebels who are leading a rebellion. Uh, and here's why. Like, here's the reason why for this rebellion is because um, I forget his name. He's the he's the guy shipping the vampires over to India. And it's just like... Oh, Lord Hastings? Yeah, Lord Hastings. Um, and it's just like, okay. And then, of course, it also, you know... Um, it's also a plot device to insert uh, the betrayal of Lord Hastings as well. Um, and like have that kind of corruption within the order, which you thought was supposed to be this very um, pure, you know, uh, <clears throat> community. So I, I don't know. Um, I didn't, it was, it wasn't that great of a, plot device honestly like i that was one of the part of the of the uh, i think actually that part um the very beginning where you're like firing at people on rooftops is the part that you played at the pax demo and so that part wasn't that great for me um but yeah i don't know it was just eh, i don't there's not a lot for me to say on it you know Mm -hmm. what what did you you think rebecca because i'm interested to get to your take on like using historical figures as like a signifier for something. Um, you know, it's another one of those things where I wanted to like it. And I think it was like, I was under the impression that it would have been something that would have been explored more in the sequel, especially the way that the game kind of leads up to its ending and sort of the post credits or mid credits sequence or whatever. Um, there's kind of a final conversation, obviously that Lafayette has with Galahad where he says like, you know, I believe that you have reason to be doing what you're doing, even if I don't know what it is or I don't understand it. And I am just telling you straight up that what I care about is liberty. Mm-hmm. And if you stand in the way of that, then obviously I I have a sworn like 
desire to stop that because this is what I stand for. And so then he's kind of says to Galahad, like, well, I hope we see each other again. And Galahad rules, says, like, we will. And so I was kind of under the impression that then a sequel or whatever would have come in. And then, you know, maybe Lafayette would be kind of a hero again. Like, he would get to be sort of a savior of the people again. And they would kind of lean more into his history as a military commander and as, like, a strategist. And then he could, you know, he really would be fighting for liberty because... You know, at the end of the game, like, London is under martial law, and now there's, like, shit everywhere, and it's dangerous, and, you know, it seems like these people are being controlled by the people in power, who are the people who are shipping vampires all over the world, and are half-breeds and whatever. So, I feel like that was what they were trying to do, and that maybe with more time or another game, they would have been able to achieve it, and so I almost feel like... I don't want to say that I feel like Lafayette was missed potential, but just that he was, he could have been so much more and maybe he would have been so much more, but instead we're just kind of stuck with Lafayette being token French sexy guy. <laughs> does that make sense? Yeah. Yes, it with does. Lak- with Lakshmi Bar, I do agree that I think she was kind of used, like hedged in as a person of color, but I know that their development lead, I believe, is also Indian. And so I kind of was under the impression that he was trying to tell a little bit of a personal story through her and through Debbie and wanting to bring in um, her as kind of a cultural icon and as someone else who could be a, a knight in her own right, even if she was not a part of the order as we understood it from the game's perspective. Mm-hmm. Um, but again, I think maybe not a lot of people even know who she is to know what she stands for. And I think if it was to be about like, I mean, there's that whole sequence where they look at a shipping ledger and they're like, wow, they've already shipped them to India. Right. But then that was the end of the conversation. You know what I mean? Like, it just was mispotential, I think. And that's kind of unfortunate in a lot of ways. Yeah, I agree. So we have kind of an interesting group of, you know, characters with a lot of their own motivations. They have some kind of weird relationship stuff. You know, people don't take Lafayette seriously. Obviously, Galahad and Percival are very close. Um, you know, once Mallory dies in the airship incident, um, we start to see a new side of Galahad that we've never seen before, because up until that point, he's very cut and dry. He's very stoic. Um, he's very kind of stern soldier man, but then he starts to kind of go off the rails, right? He has to chase this, you know, woman down. He's like one man murdering everybody on the bridge. And people are like, dude, calm the F down, dude. Like, it's all right. And he's like, no, I got to murder everyone. Did you feel like that turn of character was believable? Did it make sense? Or do you feel like it was more of a plot device? Maybe Olivia, th- you could jump in on this one. Oh. Or Tyler. Well, it doesn't matter. I was just saying, you know, it was a, it was a more it, interesting turn, I feel. <laughs> like, uh-huh. I didn't really get into him until then. Um, because it was just like... Oh, okay. I, I mean, like, honestly, like, it, I didn't... I didn't feel very connected with him. Even though, you know, I normally don't mind playing people who are just straight and true it was mm-hmm. i guess because i had played he finally had some personality right right uh he you know until then he was very like cut and dry i'm a white knight um you know very valorous and whatever and then you know that shit happens and he's suddenly not a completely different person but he has more to him than you initially thought and it just 
Mm-hmm. You know, I think that's what, like three or four hours into the game and you're finally like, oh, thank God he, he has personality. He is human. Well, um, they, they withhold so much information. I feel like like I kind of had an idea of like, OK, here's what the black goo thing they're drinking is. And like, here's what the order's intentions are. But like until Percival dies and they do the whole like explanation of their order. I, I don't feel like we really understood what they were doing. Like, like I, I, and I feel like that's just an important thing I wanted to say because I just felt like I was super confused by it and <laughs> needed to get that out there because I'm like, you waited till four hours in to like start building characterization mm-hmm. and start giving a backstory, and that seemed like a, a strange choice to me. Did you guys get that at all? Or well, I mean, yeah, yeah the like I was saying, um, you know, you're pretty much until that point, like, it's just you're going to these places doing these things because the quests are telling you to do so. And it's not like, I didn't really have a, you know, connection with anyone um, until then, until like, I, that's like when I started to kind of feel for someone to, with the character and, and, you know, um, I don't know, Rebecca, what about you? Yeah, I, I definitely got the sense that this was the way that they were trying to show normalcy. Um, with the understanding that, like, you know, this is a kind of relationship that Galadad has with Percival, and this is who he has with Lafayette, and this is who he has with the Green. So that when they kind of come in with these hot reveals, I think it was just sort of meant to be almost a juxtaposition. And so they, like, up until the point at which the story goes off the rails, then it's like, this day-to-day stuff is literally just their job, right? You walk through the building, you find the rebels, you come, you kill them, everybody's safe, the end, right? And so it's almost like a very rote kind of a thing where, like, to them, the whole Blackwater whatever is totally normal. Mm -hmm. And so I I got the sense that they were trying to say that what was specifically happening in this story was abnormal even to people who already are abnormal. Like, it was like another layer of weird, I guess. Um, But I don't know. I don't know if that was done well. To yeah. be honest with you, I, it does kind of like ratchet up to eleven, like, and mm-hmm. you you definitely get Galahad's like, you know, he's having that like breakdown as he finds like uh, Sebastian's body, mm-hmm. and I just kind of wanted to, I, I guess, like the queer in me was just like, yeah, they're gay, like they this is like doing a <laughs> queer reading of that moment, and like yeah. your response, especially when like a grain's dying, and you're just kind of like, whatever, it's cool, yeah, and like, <laughs> like I'm just gonna like, like Sebastian's dying, it's like no, yeah, like. Like, whenever Egrain's, like, injured and they split up, he just kind of, like, leaves her on a bed and just like, I gotta go investigate and stuff. <laughs> but then, like, once Sebastian's dead, the level of emotion, you know, and I I, could, I get that's the intention of, the, of that scene. Mm-hmm. When he's, like, going through the, you know, burning uh, airship thing. I, I guess I just kept wondering, like, why, like, you're a soldier. I know this was your mentor, but this seemed like something that, you know, could be expected. Like, everyone kept telling you guys that, like, I can't protect you. Like, things are gonna go really bad. And, like, I didn't really see a way out for any of them on that airship. Uh, mm-hmm. And I just kept wondering, like, okay, the level of emotional... To to feel this upset about something, I feel like the connection has to be deeper than just, like, you know, co-workers or something. Mm-hmm. And I get that it was his teacher, but I'm like, they're gay. Like, that's just what my reading of the story was, was that they had a romantic connection. Because they seemed like the only person that he actually trusted out of everyone. Right. And, like, I know you could probably read that as a teaching moment as well. Like, oh, here's my mentor who's, like, guiding me through life. But, you know... I'm just holding out hope. That there's don't. there's definitely a few moments that could have been queer moments, but then were almost like ruined by the story just being whatever it was. Like I actually had like kind of a queer reading on Lakshmi Bai and Devi, not realizing that uh-huh. Devi was actually her daughter. Yeah. And then uh-huh. I was like, uh, right. right. My bad. 
But that's almost what it felt like, because it felt like a very similar protege-mentor kind of relationship, you know, where Devi was kind of coming and being like, do you really want to do this weird shit with this random guy who tried to kill us like six times? Um, in the same way that I think Galahad was kind of foiling Percival in that way, where it's like, hey, who was that weird guy you were talking to? Igrain, don't talk to me right now. I'm busy talking to Percival. You know what I mean? And so I, it almost felt like those moments were like, well, it could have been something, but... Eh, eh. There's a lot of uh in this game, I think, which is sad. Yeah. Did you did you read any of those moments, Tyler? Um, well yeah, definitely with uh Debbie and um uh what's her name? But the Oh Lakshmi. Lakshmi, yeah. Definitely with her. I, I was like, oh my fuck, there's lesbians in here. Awesome. And then there's like, I'm her I know. daughter. The like, lesbians are here. Like, it's like, oh, uh, never mind. Okay, fine. Whatever. It's it's daughter and mother, which is fine. It's fine. Um but yeah, no, definitely. Um, I I kind of felt that way with Sir Galahad. I thought it was more. I I don't maybe not Sir Galahad, but definitely Lafayette. I felt was just kind of like a playboy. He's like near like yeah. he'll he'll have sex with anything as long as it's a good time. Kind of a deal. <laughs> Again, he definitely had that like queer trope of just like the almost feminine, like you know, where he's like, oh, I'm he's like very a playboy, saucy. but also I. Yeah, I care about what I wear. I like have very mm-hmm. finely manicured. They all have finely manicured mustaches. Oh, they do. So I guess that's I not mean, a fair reading. But yeah, I think you could also do a queer reading on Tesla and bit. Tesla's kind of admiration for Galahad. Yeah. Like he spent a lot of time trying to impress him, and it was very clear that there was a definite like he he was very attached to Galahad to the point where he's the one that goes out of his way to save Galahad, and like the only reason why he doesn't die basically is because Tesla was like white knighting him this whole time mm-hmm. um so there yeah i i agree with you guys on those those moments i think are very interesting yeah um knowing that the story kind of ratchets up to 11 repeatedly um especially at that kind of midpoint where mallory dies um what are you guys' thoughts on the big reveals like there's a couple there's obviously the vampires then the whole thing about like the fact that Lord Hastings is a vampire, and then Sir Lucan is actually a werewolf, and everything you ever knew was a lie. Like, you know, it, it comes in really hot and fast there at the end. Um, I'm, were I'm curious. I mean, were vampires telegraphed at all before we find the the, the vampire in the box? Because that was something um, I kept wondering. Like, I didn't well, expect they, a werewolf, a vampire. It's just the Ripper thing. So they mentioned right. the Jack the Ripper thing at one point, and then in the first time you're going through Whitechapel when it's Galahad and Lafayette, they kind of like sneak through a passage and then there's a woman in the corner and she's crying like, I didn't know it was him. I didn't know it was him. Like the Ripper got her. Like I didn't even know. And then that's all you get. Um, and then until you get to the point where Lord Hastings is like full frontal nudity, like, yes, oh, yeah. tis I. <laughs> there was a lot of penis in this game. There was. Tis I, the Reaper. Like, it just, I don't know. It just seemed, I guess for me, I just kept wondering, like, if, if you... It didn't feel telegraphed in a way besides, like, he's definitely evil. Like, you know mm-hmm. he's part yeah. of, like, some shit. And then the... I, I just, like, when they opened the box with the vampires, I was just like, okay, I guess there's vampires in this game. Like, I kept <laughs> thinking, like, this is just ridiculous that you keep adding new elements without giving a proper explanation. And I'm like, mm-hmm. I know we exist in a world where magical creatures exist and there are werewolves. Like, that's been shown. But, like, I, I just kind of wish that I had known there were vampires in this world. Like, or what else can exist in this world? Like, are all creatures evil? Like, are all the evil creatures of mythology actually in here? Like, right. and right. it just didn't feel earned to me in a way that, mm-hmm. like, oh, yeah. I feel, like, really impassioned now that, vampi- <laughs> that vampires are involved. Or, like, hey, you've been telegraphing this guy's evil and, like, your friend, the guy who's played by... 
What's the fucking the android from Aliens? Oh, um, he actually is not played by Michael Fassbender, but he was modeled after Michael Fassbender. Oh, okay. In case you're wondering. I thought <laughs> that's it. a pro tip for you right there. God, the the Wikia for the Order eighteen eighty six lied to me. I'll need to correct that. <laughs> but um, I I guess I just kept wondering like this seems very you know stereotypical in terms of like uh-huh. hey here's the guy who's gonna turn on you and it makes it it makes it feel even worse that they were trying to like model this after Blade Runner in my opinion because I'm like right. hey, yeah like that's a story all about subtlety and about like uh... hey what's the nature of humanity <laughs> whereas this didn't really try to answer those questions yeah I didn't get the Blade I... Runner thing so. Yeah, I I think the problem with the subtlety too is that they were subtle in maybe the wrong ways, um, especially the whole telegraphing of the the vampires. Like when they find that manifest that basically shows that like the super evil villains are just shipping vampires all over the world so they can take over the world as vampires. Mm-hmm. That is like a hysterical plot concept, which they just go like, "Of course they are." Moving <laughs> on, you know what I mean? Like that's not the point where I needed subtlety. Right. You know what I mean? It was like, oh, okay. It's just that they're just gonna—they're just going for world domination. Is that what this is about? And that we're okay. Okay, we're all good on that. Yeah. Um, like the plotting. I, I almost laughed like mm-hmm. at that point. I was just like, I couldn't even believe like that was where the story had gone, and it was just like, oh, jeez. Like the plotting, I think, was very much like, hey, here's some like really like unearned reveals that we're just gonna throw out here. And like, mm-hmm. oh shit, they're on the airship that we didn't really know they were going to, like, we kind of knew they were going to take this airship, but what if this is the nature of airships in this world? I guess, yeah. I, like, it was just, like, very poor in terms of setting expectations and, like, giving you, like, that Chekhov's gun of, like, hey, here's the yeah. thing that's going to happen. And also the characterization was super wooden. Like, it didn't seem like those characters really gave a fuck about anything or, like, they didn't yeah. really have goals. And those are, like, the two, in my opinion, like, the two tenets of storytelling. And they didn't uh-huh. really meet either of those, in my opinion. So I kind of just wish they you know, picked something, even if they were wooden characters, if the story was kind of fun and not like super grimdark, like it, that's the, mm-hmm. I, I just wish they like maybe recognized how, re- how ridiculous it all was and maybe like kind of played with that a little bit. Like that would have, in my opinion, been a better choice than, you know, leaning all the way into like, I'm Batman at the end. Yeah. Oh yeah. I'm under the impression that Alistair being Sir Lucan was meant to be a telegraph that he was actually a half breed, mm-hmm. like Sir Lucan the Lycan. Mm-hmm. But I don't like when when it came out that he was a half breed. I was just like, really? Yeah. Like, like, like so what? Okay. Like that was. And you named him. Thinking. And you named him Sir Lucan. Like what? <clears throat> like and that almost feels like a bad fanfic or something. Yeah. Yeah, I got some elements of like this is like, this is like archive of our own here. Like that's what I kept thinking was. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. What's, like he's a vampire, but I mean he's a werewolf, but to what end? Like right. maybe other people knew and you weren't allowed to know, Sir Galahad. Like there was no element of like subtlety there, and I just felt uh-huh. really. I guess I felt really let down because I'm like, you put so much time and effort into the trappings of this game, but not mm-hmm. the individual, like, why are we doing this? When this game is based all around stories. Like, that's right. the main hook here is that this story is really interesting and cool, but you couldn't deliver on that. So I I kind of, before we move into, like, I feel like eventually, you know, we just, I mean, there's not a lot to say about the story other than the fact that it had some, some struggles. I think it didn't realize itself. It, but it did it did do some cool things in terms of like, you know, there was a lot of cool ideas at play that never really came to fruition. Um, and so, you know, before we jump into maybe looking at it more technically as a cinematic game for the combat and things like that, um, I'm curious to hear you guys' thoughts on the ending. Um, not necessarily the part at which Sir Galahad becomes Batman, but I think it's an interesting 
end where, you know, Galahad has to go or he feels compelled to go save Tesla for the fact that Tesla saved him. And, you know, you spend a little while fighting sort of through the catacombs until you're eventually having this final confrontation with Alistair, um, which, you know, the Lord Commander, what was his name? Lord Commander, whatever. He shows up and is the Lord Chancellor. He shows up and he is sort of like, well, here was the secret I've been hiding all these years. He wasn't really my son. And also he right. was a half-breed. Now you have to kill him um, because I can't do it. And then I'll just let you leave and I won't say anything about it. Um I, I, well, I want to hear what you guys think about it because I personally was a little disappointed by how it was, I don't know, I guess the way that it came to an ending, but I still felt like that final action where Galahad just sort of has his gun pointed at Alistair and it's up to you when you choose to pull the trigger. I thought that was very moving and like that was a really powerful moment that didn't feel much like what you said earlier, Olivia. It didn't feel earned because it didn't feel like it had the same kind of gravity as like it had too much gravity, I guess I should say for like the weird kind of dialogue around it. Um, Tyler, what was your thoughts on the ending? Well, uh, I will say I pulled the trigger and the reason is because 10 minutes ago he fucking betrayed me. (laughs) Like, like, you know, like it's, it's, it, um, I feel like unfortunately the setup for these kind of scenarios or for these reveals it does the game doesn't give you a lot of time to process what you're going through and so um you know like like we find out the um uh marshall guy is is a vampire and we also find out that alistair is, is a half-breed werewolf and he's actually been doing bad shit for a while and that happened like 20 or 30 minutes ago and now here i am uh in a fight with him and yeah, I'm going to fucking kill him because he betrayed me and like hurt Tesla. And like, you know, it's just like, yeah, uh, it's yeah. So it doesn't give you a bunch of time to either for Alistair to redeem himself or for any of these characters to like redeem themselves or really give you any, in my opinion, any like reason to save them or, or any other like thought than what the just basic general thought would be um he's either you know is he a bad if he's a bad guy you just go ahead and like end his life um the ending i thought was it it felt very rushed um you don't get a lot of closure for things it leaves way more questions than it does answers um it doesn't really wrap up the experience that you've had for the past four to five hours um other than like resolution of okay you figured out that uh, there are vampires being shipped all over the world. Half-breeds exist. The Chancellor was keeping this a secret forever and a day for whatever reason, for and no reason at all, maybe even. Um, and, like, who else is... <laughs> who else is the Klingon in the ship? Like, who else is a half-breed in our order? And now the order that you thought was noble and pure is actually corrupt. Um, <clears throat> and so it's just kind of like, well, where does the story even go from here? And then it just kind of ends. Um, and maybe you'll get another story or maybe you won't, uh, who knows? Um, and that's just kind of my take on the, the, the ending. Um, it's, it's a little unfortunate, uh, that it just kind of ended that way. Again, I feel like the studio, it all goes back to studio and maybe management, um, of the game and, and who knows what was going on and they might've just had to throw something in there that felt like closure 
um, even though to me it didn't really feel like closure. So yeah, I'd agree. And I need some clarification because was that actually a choice? Like, could you walk away without shooting him? No. Okay. No, it just you could. Um, when I first played it, I remember I just was curious, and he will just stand there pointing the gun at Alistair until you choose to pull the trigger. Like it just is a forever moment, pretty much. Okay, because I, 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 I honestly was like the whole ending where he's like, "Oh, here you go. Here's a gun. Shoot him." I was just like, "This is like why? Like what is the purpose behind this? Like you are uh-huh. just kind of here." And I just kind of was hammering on the shoot button because I'm like, I bet you they're going to let him shoot him. And it just kind of immediately went. So, mm-hmm. you know, not the most um, sacrimonious ending. Uh, eh. But there was a, at least a feint during the, the the fight, like right before, you know, you're finding mm-hmm. the werewolf where he's like, you know, we're the same. Like, are, like right. why do you get to exist and I don't? And I was like, oh, that's like maybe an interesting idea because Galahad mm-hmm. seems like a person who's maybe like, there's no shades of gray. There's only good and bad. And... Right. I wish this idea had been explored. Like this should have maybe been the central theme of what was happening here. And it, I agree with Tyler that, you know, they're probably under immense pressure to get the game out before when the PS4 launched and every month that passed was kind of like, Oh, this is like losing its effect on like what the desired purpose of the game was, which was just like show the technical powerhouse of the PS4. Mm-hmm. So I, I would probably guess that's why they had to ship it out so early um, without a good resolution. But yeah, I, before I move on to the technical stuff, I just wanted to bring up like all of the enemies in this game maybe had oh, some yeah. poor reasoning, like the in, the people in the asylum where he's just like, I was just like, wow, are we really just gonna like fight like you know people who are in? They were in Bedlam, weren't they? Yeah, uh huh. Like I'm like, oh, this is like maybe Bedlamite. a horrible. Yeah, like this is like a horrible place to be. Like these people, if they do have mental illnesses, you know, weren't treated correctly, and then they're just like, yeah, we're just gonna kill these fuckers. Like that was kind of the whole. Um, like there wasn't any real critique there. And then during the fight in Whitechapel, where I, mm-hmm. I think I remember them talking about like these godless rebels or whatever. And I'm like, are, is like this a, you know, is the Christian, like Protestant, like belief system here part of the, you know, the order? Because it isn't really addressed anywhere else. Right. It just kind of seemed like here's like some weird, you know, not totally congruous ideas that they just kind of throw out mm-hmm. from in like the language, like the little like barks during the fight scenes that I didn't really it just seemed all really like poor characterizations about why you're mm-hmm. fighting people and what the point is. And like that, I guess that bothered me. I kept thinking about it. Like, Oh, I wish I knew why we were fighting people. Why are the Bedlamites bad? Like what's the kind of like, what is, what is their idea? And then um, at the end where it's just like, you have to kill him cause you're the good man and you're the soldier. I was just like, it doesn't really like fit with everything else that's happened in the last, like, you know, 20 minutes. So right. it seems a little unfair for you to do that. This game reminds me a lot in the style of Uncharted. Yeah. Um, I think it's almost very, very similar to Uncharted, but I feel like Uncharted gets a pass in its stupid-ass combat because it has a compelling story, sort of. But more than that, it has compelling characters. It's like it's like fun. It's like what you said. Like Even when it hits these kind of weird supernatural notes or even when it hits these kind of heavy, dour sort of notes, it still does not take itself so seriously that it's not like you're having a good time with your friends kind of a thing. Um, and then it almost feels like the fact that you have to slaughter 50 random guys who probably are not really bad people. They're just like have a job to do or something. Like we just kind of that sort of gets a pass. And so... I do feel like it is interesting to kind of compare this game to Uncharted because I think they are coming from similar uh, ilks, mm-hmm. but obviously Uncharted was more successful at what it did. 
Um, I do think it's interesting that you brought up the aspect of Christianity because I that was also something I was hung up on, especially in replays, because I know that a lot of the characters kind of mention like, oh, my God, or God, whatever. And then in that fight sequence, when you get the, the thermite rifle for the first time, uh-huh. and you have that guy who's like the police, whatever, and he gets shot and he, he dies, um, Lafayette says something like, oh, like, may his soul rest in peace. And then Galahad just goes, well, there's no God to save him. So it's like, it almost seemed like there was some kind of larger supernatural thing at work, but it was totally unaddressed. And I'm guessing that was more one of those, we didn't have time for that kind of a thing. Um, Yeah. But yeah, I I, I noticed that as well. Um, So in talking about the thermite rifle, I, one of the things that I really liked about this game was that I thought the combat was cool as hell because it had that kind of cinematic quality to it. Um, there were a lot of environmental things that could be shot at and would fly around and, you know, it felt very heavy and exciting and explodey and stuff. Um, what did you guys think about the combat? Tyler, I know that you are not like a a first-person shooter kind of a guy, and obviously this is like sort of a third-person shooter, but did, how'd you feel about the combat? How did it feel to you? Did it feel punchy? Did it feel fun? Um, so it definitely... So yeah, I'm not a first-person shooter. And uh, and this game, I think the, the biggest part of this game where I struggled was the actual combat. But it was more of the sense of like... Um, I just can't fucking aim. <laughs> oh, Yeah. That's right. um, did, how did, did you did you use the black site? Like, did that help you? Because I know the black uh, site is basically bullet time, essentially. Uh, yes. So okay. So yes, that was nice because it didn't matter if I aimed or not. It was just like you just you know it'll it automatically pan around uh, and just shoot everyone, which mm-hmm. was nice. And you normally sure. it would kill them normally. Um, so I did I did appreciate that. I thought that was cool because it was it was almost like I was McCree from Overwatch and just like it's high noon and it's like <laughs> kill everyone. But um uh <laughs> it's high noon all the time. <laughs> right. Uh I think I ran around mostly with a shotgun when I could. I liked how there was a lot of weapon variants and how um you I you know the beginning weapons were were kind of like okay. They were your regular like assault rifle or like machine gun or whatever. It just you know your your typical automatic. And I think you had then like your handgun. Um, mm-hmm. But I think I enjoyed like the 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 cannon, which was like the handgun that like once you did a headshot or anything like that, they like they fucking died. Um, you only had like three bullets though, and it was it was basically like a, a small shotgun in your hand. Um, I don't know. I, I I enjoyed the weapon variances. The actual combat itself did seem punchy. Like when I shot someone, they fucking like recoiled. The problem maybe I had with it was uh, it was just a little difficult to shoot at them, and they didn't have like health bars or anything, so you really didn't know if they were close to dying or or what. I remember um, shooting at guys a lot, and they wouldn't go down, and I realized you had to kind of hit them like twice in a row almost for them to be defeated like if you just shot at them once or twice they would almost heal back up kind of and that's i don't really know how the mechanic of the combat worked in terms of the enemies but i just know that if i shot them in like the knee or something and then the head they would fucking die i don't know if that's because i did a headshot or because (laughs) i shot them in the knee at the same time but i also noticed you know if i shot them in the head or uh if i like tried to shoot them in the head but it hit them i don't know in their chest or something they would not die or whatever even if it was a weird thing. Um, 
that was the only problem or thing that I had trouble with with the, when it came to the combat uh, was just trying to figure out who had the lowest health or who could I pick off so that they can die so that I can like have an easier time because there's times where you're like fighting f- 20 people and it's just you I mean like <laughs> like you have your companions but they don't do a lot unfortunately um, sure. so I, I, I um, basically did the shotgun or like the, the cannon gun um, and then I think I did like the hunter's rifle or I can't remember what it was but it was essentially like the sniper rifle so um, do you feel like you had a similar experience, Olivia? Yeah, I, I guess for me, I the weapons that I really enjoyed using were like the rifle that had the little air blaster on it. I thought that was kind of a fun inversion on like, hey, here's what the the common like third person shooter weapons are. Um, mm-hmm. I, I really liked the flame gun thing where you would the shoot. Thermite oh, gun yeah. was amazing. Yeah, the therm- yeah, that was thermite like, rifle. That was super cool, and I was like, man, I want to use this thing more, and I want to use the electric gun more. Like these seem like great weapons. That would be like a fun. Like, they're different. You know, it's like a Ratchet and Clank kind of weapon system. And I wanted more of that. Mm-hmm. Um, I I didn't use the Black Guard system that much. Or Black Eye. I don't really... What is it called? Oh, Black, Black Sight. I Black think. Sight. Yeah, I, I guess I kept using it. And then I kept, like... I didn't... I guess I didn't miss the little prompt where it's like, use the right stick to aim. So I just kept shooting dead bodies. And I was like, this isn't super useful. Like, that was my experience <laughs> with it. Um, and then... I just kept getting bum rushed. Like that was the part of the game that I really didn't enjoy was that in the fight in Whitechapel where you're kind of like taking a position where it's like, okay, there's a yeah. trench dividing you and they keep like kind of coming. Uh, I, I died on that like three or four times and I'm usually pretty good at those kinds of games. Um, and I just wondered like, am I not managing my enemies correctly? Like what's the best way to play this? And I would just get bum rushed by a shotgunner and then go down and then pray that he wouldn't shoot me again before I could revive. And oh, I get, sure. I guess that really bothered me. And like the stealth sections I thought were like surprisingly decent, but I still wondered why there was a stealth section in the game. Yeah. Um, yeah. So that's a good, that's a good point where I wanted to kind of bring up. Well, I guess I should ask if you had a, well, I wanted to know. Okay. I want to know what your favorite levels were. Like I was curious if there were any that stood out to you. And also if you had any least favorite levels to the point where I will say that I hated that stealth section. It was so frustrating to me. Yeah. I, I, I think that stealth section, like the, the one on the ship was at least short, but then yeah. the, the one where you're like, going, like I thought the crossbows were super, yeah, the, cro- the courtyard one, I'm like, you have crossbows. I'm like, this is kind of fun. I like right. sneaking around. And then I, then I got through the first section or section of the first two sections without like a problem. And then I just kept running into a dude who would shoot me in the head. And I'm like, are we really like, this is what we're doing in like, you know, 2014. People know like, this is like an, a, a stereotype to like make a game with a self section that's bad. So, mm-hmm. um, but that, that level where you're fighting on the bridge, like, you know, I died a few times on that, but I still really enjoyed it. Like, I still mm. thought that, like, this was making the best use of, like, hey, you're fighting weapons, you're with a team of people, you're, like, actually, like, making forward progress. And I thought that was the the most fun that I had in that game was that kind of, like, hey, you're fighting with rebels trying to get to the carriage thing. I, I wished the whole game was like that. Yeah, I understand. Tyler, did you have any favorite levels yeah, and or um, favorite levels? I think I have a few. I really enjoyed, like, the, the hospital um just because it was like i don't know i felt like in terms of level design it was pretty pretty neat uh, like things were just spaced out differently and it was it felt like i was actually like you know exploring um a, a hospice area but um and then of course like it was like the, the first time i think you encounter something actually supernatural um which was nice uh and then i i, I think again that stealth level in the courtyard first half was great you know i felt like uh. i was uh, um 
I don't know, like Assassin's Creed or something. <clears throat> and then the second, the second time was just awful. Like I, like I literally spent like an hour, 30 minutes to an hour trying to get past that second part. And I'm like, why, why, why? Because there's like, there's no reason for this. Like either, it, you know, they should have just had it. I understand they wanted it to be a stealth part, but like if I get discovered, don't have it be a one hit KO. Just fucking let me kill the guys that I now have to face. Like, I don't, I don't know. I finally got yeah. it. Like, uh, but it, I don't know. Um, that was my like least favorite. I also like the airship too. Uh, that was pretty neat. Just kind of going through, um, not necessarily the part where you're actually like the, the initial part, but when you actually finally get into the inside of the airship was pretty, pretty, pretty neat. So, yeah, I think I just want to say as well that the airship, like the look of that level, especially the opening of it when you're like, when it's starting to go down and like you're in the, you're going through the kitchens. Like yeah, I, I posted a video right. where I was just like shooting the little pans because I was like, this is really cool. They have physics and like the, mm-hmm. the, when they're like releasing people with the air balloons, like the air machine kind of things. I was like, oh, that's like a neat idea that I'm glad that they were able to like let us see this because it looks beautiful. Like the entire game looks amazing, but you know, you're still fighting through corridors, which I wasn't a huge fan of. Sure. Um, to that end, did you, I guess, how did you feel the gameplay flowed? Because um, there was a lot of, like, some ex- like there was exploration, there was combat, obviously, um, and then there were these other moments of, like, lock picking. Um, there was the panel override little machine minigame. Which I enjoyed. Um, there was, like, a Morris code section. Did you guys feel that that was a natural flow? Um, was there something you like more than others? Is there something you wish you were used more? You know, how was the gameplay flow to you? Maybe Tyler, I know you said you liked the panel mini game. Yeah, I did surprisingly. Because um, when you know, again, Nikola Tesla was just like, "Oh, here's this thing I've made for you. This is this neat gadget. Here you go on your way." And like that's it. Um, and I was like, "What the f- like? What the fuck is this shit? Like, what <laughs> is going on?" And then uh, you finally actually use it. And I was like, "Oh my god, this is actually kind of neat." Um, it took me like a hot second to figure out exactly what I was supposed to do. But uh, after I, you know, once you figured out, you're like, oh, okay, great. Um, and it, it uh, unlike the other parts of the game, I feel like that panel override will actually fit into uh, the universe or like what you were doing. It never fell out of place and not like um, overly annoying. Um like I never, it never came up and I was like, oh man, not this again. Like, or like, seriously, you know, this is, why would I need to do this for this thing? Um, using that though was nice. The other, like the flow of the game though, I'm not entirely sure. Um, it felt like, I mean, again, this is, it kind of goes from combat to cutscene to combat to lock picking to stealthing to whatever. And it, it didn't, in my opinion, it didn't go. It wasn't as smooth as a, of a transition. Um, mm-hmm. I will say, like, I will praise it on going seamlessly from combat to a cutscene because, like, there are times where I thought I was could still control my character, and I was like, "Oh fuck, this is actually a cutscene." I didn't realize that. Um, so that was nice. Um, but then it was just it was kind of annoying also coming from a cutscene into gameplay because I didn't realize I c- could control my character. Um, and the, the the and the overall flow of it was just a little bit sporadic. Like it again, it kind of jumped all over the place. Um, but I don't know. That's just my thoughts. What about you, Olivia? Um, I I think that the I, I guess I wasn't really a huge fan of the mini games because I kept wondering like 
this seems to be interrupting the flow of this kind of, you know, cinematic quote unquote game. Um, especially parts of the lockpicking where I'm like, this is a cool device. I actually usually like lockpicking games, but the stakes weren't really there. And right. I can understand like how frustrating that would be if you're like trying to pick a lock and then you get killed or something. But I, I just kept wondering like, why, what is the player gaining? Like, what is the choice that we're making here? And I didn't really see anything that was super interesting in my opinion. Um, and I also feel like the, especially in the hospital section, like in Bedlam or whatever, um, where we, it felt like there was like a series of cutscenes, like with the werewolf, where you have to kind of like just do a bunch of um, quick time events. And yeah. I kept wondering, like this, like you die and you reset it. And I, I think I got through it after once or twice, but I'm like, this seems like a, a poor decision when you're trying to like make this kind of, um, you know, cinematic game. Like, mm-hmm. okay, I know that you need, you have limited resources, and like a quick time event is a great way to kind of extend those resources. But I kept wondering, like why like, like i think we all do we all agree that quick time events maybe aren't the the best use when they're used sequentially like when you're doing a lot of them in a row never. <laughs> yeah i mean never use quick time events <laughs> i'm against them i mean i think unless the game is going to be open in the way that like until dawn is like where the stakes are really high if you miss them or yeah. the game somehow will change if you miss them then just having quick time events you can repeatedly fail is just like a that's just a loop right. of frustration really yeah yeah i guess i just i i wondered like the game felt choppy to me and rebecca mm-hmm. i'm wondering did you have that experience how was your like experience playing the game and like seeing like the different sections yeah it definitely was very choppy to me i think one of my issues is that you never really spent very long anywhere um and so i feel like on the one hand you have these in like beautiful environments where you know, I, I don't think I saw reused assets to the, that point. You know what I mean? Like the the United India Company house was like one specific thing and the airship had its own color scheme. And, you know, there's were paintings on the walls and beautiful like sofas and shit everywhere. I loved it. And it was just like this really hit me in the very first part of the game. And like that was hard because I was really excited for the game to come out. But the sequence where... You have to, in the very beginning, you have to climb down to the street. Um, and then there's, like, people kind of walking around. Um, very quickly, it became apparent how much of a corridor the game was. Mm-hmm. Um, and so it's like you'd have these people walking around, and then they would, like, repeat their dialogue. Um, and, yeah. you know, there was no reflections. You couldn't look in windows. There were no doors to open. Um you know, it was it was a weird juxtaposition for me because the game also asked you to find collectibles. Um, yes, there's newspapers, yeah. and then there's audio files, and then there's, like, objects that you can find. So it's like, I don't know, I feel like the flow was always difficult because it was like, we want you to explore, but not too much. And we want you to do these mini games, but not too much. And then we want you to have a film game, but not too much because it's little games so with some QTEs in there. You know what I mean? Like, it, it just felt like it was kind of all over the place in terms of, like, what it wanted to do. Um did you guys ever spend any time with the collectibles? Like, did you um, find any of them? Did you look for them? Here's my extent of the collectibles. Uh, I found a recording, and it didn't fucking autoplay. And in order to listen to the recording, <laughs> right. I have to open up the menu, click on uh-huh. the thing, and then yeah. stay on that page and listen to the entirety or just like read the fucking text. And then I'd go about my right. day. That yes. is severely poor game design especially for a video game in 2015 when something like bioshock has come out ages ago 
where they had the pickup recorder and you can continue walking or exploring whatever you're doing while also listening to the recording itself. Um, I did find like other other collectibles. Uh, I didn't go out of my way. Like I at the very beginning, I would try to go out of my way to find things, but then at the very end, I was like, uh, I don't give a fuck because like the I don't I'm not given the time of day f- for these things that I'm collecting, um, and it's not really adding any flavor to what I'm doing. Uh, it's not giving me really any insight onto um, uh, like the the world that I'm in. It, I mean, so a few did, but but not to the extent of everything together. Most of it was just, yeah. you know, um, I'm going to tell you this nursery tale, a bedtime story or something like that. Or, you know, it's weird, really. Or it'll sometimes give you like a little bit of a historical um, context. I think for like henry the third or something like that and how he was a tyrant i can't remember exactly what it was but for the most part though it was just kind of like benign things that didn't really for me personally didn't really do anything um for the world or the game that i was playing and the fact that it was like super inaccessible and um annoying (laughs) i was like i'm not gonna give it time of day so it felt just like a lot of flavor which usually i'm like into but the way that it was presented was challenging like tyler said um, I was wondering, Rebecca, did you collect all of the, did you collect a, a significant amount of the collectibles? Um, I did. I had always meant to, to go and do them all on a second playthrough, but I'm pretty sure I found all of the newspapers and I found all of the objects. I did not find all of the, um, uh, audio logs. Okay. In, in what you collected, did it give you any kind of background into like the order and like its evolution from like Arthurian legend or like back in those times to what it became? Like, did it not, give you some kind of additional, like, understanding? Not really. It seemed like it was more of sort of flavor text to kind of give you an idea of what the world was like at the time. Um, and so it kind of touched on, you know, what was happening. So I think, I don't remember which of you mentioned it, but the newspaper about, like, Queen Victoria's absent kind of a thing. Um, it would give you that kind of flavoring, but that was it, really. Um, a lot of the audio logs... To this point, I can't even remember what most of them even were about, but it was not... A lot of it was about the United Indie Company, I think, um, and, like, their motivations and globalness at the time. But, yeah, it it was it was tough. There was, there was something about the Order, though, if I remember correctly. I think that they had tried to use that one that's a lullaby, which is the one that I still remember, because um, it was so lovely, but I, I think that they had changed the lyrics or something a little bit to um, kind of reference the order, like the order was sort of vaguely known among the people as like the protectors of people. Mm-hmm. Um, so you get kind of that storyline, but it, again, is like not easy to find those things. They're hidden away in the menu, which I assume was a design feature because if you walk five feet, you're in another cutscene, so it's sort right, of like... Right. You know, it's, that's that's possible to too, which I can understand it, but also like. Uh... But it's not good design if people can't just listen to them. Right. Yeah. One of the things I wanted to return to, just based on the aesthetics conversation you were having, was the idea of the you know widescreen black bars on uh-huh. the because I I just didn't expect that as part of the game, and I actually as I was playing, I was like, oh yeah, this was like a controversy at the time, mm-hmm. um, and I just I I assume they were put in there to give it a more like filmic quality and also to kind of save on like processing power because that game mm-hmm. seemed like it was a challenge um did it bother either of you mm. 
I kind of ignored them. Yeah, actually, I, I I would say maybe like at first it was because I mean I love I love how honestly I love how when you start the game it it totally like you know has that you're watching a movie feel to it, and then when you start the game you know it's it's a it's a cutscene with Sir Galahad being tortured. Um, I didn't. I would say I didn't really notice it that much. Uh, honestly, um, it did. I didn't feel like it's like hindered or reduced my experience. Um, I I don't know though. I I mean, I feel like um, there was another game that came out that also had bars, and it wasn't Evil Within. Probably, yeah. It was yeah, the Evil Within. Because didn't they give you an option to turn them off? I think after in the in the PC version, there was a mod that removed them. So uh, it didn't. Oh, okay. uh, to, for me, it didn't. It didn't like have a negative impact on my gameplay. So okay, I think for me, I was just like really surprised that that was the how they used those. And I, I, I don't know. I just felt like it was like almost taking me out of the experience because I was like, well, this does this isn't film. Like, are you showing a widescreen lens? Like, it just kind of felt like a more of a hey, here's like some set dressing that we're gonna use to make this seem more like a film instead of yeah, like probably actually having like an artistic impact on it so i just that bothered me i just wanted to make sure i had that put that out there because why are you putting black bars dude i want to use this full tv i bought this tv put it on the full tv well, yeah i mean i was putting it on uh on my tv which is like 75 inches so it's just like yeah um anyway I, yeah still a beautiful game though um so i feel like you know in kind of winding down through our discussion of the order Obviously, this game ended with the thought process that there was going to be more. Um, and the devs have been very open about the fact that they would like to do another um, Order game. I guess maybe the Order 1887. I don't know if that would be the logical conclusion. Um, but that the fact that they know that Sony owns the IP. And so as long as Sony owns the IP and does nothing with it, then it's dead pretty right. much. Um, so knowing that the assumption was always there... Um, and knowing that there is a desire, at least among the people who made this one, to kind of give it another go, would you, at this point in time, having played it, having kind of talked through it, would you want another Order game? Would you want a sequel? And if you do, what would you want it to address? Like, what would you want it to be that this game wasn't? Um, Olivia, I'll, I'll start with you. See what your feels are like. Yeah, I mean, I think it all comes down to execution. And mm -hmm. I feel like there are some really cool ideas in the order. Like, I like the idea of using Arthurian legend to tell a story about, you know, this time period with rapid industrialization, like colonization of you know the world. Um, I just would like to see more. Let's, let's take a wider view about what they're trying to accomplish. Let's make their intentions really clear. This is the order specifically like, okay, now that Gal had left the order, like what did they're like, an autocratic organization it seems like and they're kind of like imposing martial law like what's what does that do to galahad's perspective and like why are they doing that you know like sure that would be something that i'd love to see and like let's get out of you know if we're gonna be in england the whole time that would be i i would i would like that it seemed like it was a really pretty area but like you know we're talking about going to the americas we're talking about going to india like let's get a little more variation i think that would be a really cool way to kind of invert your expectations about what the order is what do you think tyling um I I really think that this game could be amazing and like a AAA title successful game of the year amazing. Um the what I feel like the sequel needs to do is to ramp up the mysticism and throw in more werewolves and vampires and 
occult references and things. Um, because this game, the 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 Order eighteen eighty six, doesn't do that. Like if they're there, they're present, but they're not in any way important, unfortunately. And I feel like this game would really be beneficial if it became, um, if they could somehow retain like their graphical uh intensity that would be amazing but i i mean i'm not gonna if it's gonna be what i expect it to be next for the sequel um it has to be like an open world or almost we're like it's like a dishonored where you it is not open world but where you are set the city you're set in you're able to go do different things um and you can either follow the quest or like you can go off and do your side thing whatever you want to do um and i feel like it would be that kind of a world. It'd be very beneficial doing that. Um, if they want to keep it to, you know, the same cinematic 3d movie, you know, feels, uh, that's fine, but they need to make something a little bit more open, more like the uncharted series where even if it's linear, it's still like, uh, then they have to really dial up the story. Um, and, and really dive into the lore of this universe because we don't really know anything about it. Unfortunately, um, so hopefully, if there is a sequel, you know it's it's like a it's an open world first person, whatever, uh, and you get to discover more about the vampires and the werewolves, um, and like I don't I don't know, and maybe maybe throw in like a little bit of trait trees as well. I don't know, it's just, this is one guy just thinking here, but. Um, <laughs> like I really I really feel like this game could be something amazing if Sony can give up their IP uh or hand it back over to um the original devs and have them give them time and the money to do something different with it cuz it really does need a lot of polish such as uh audio logs that you can listen to while walking. <laughs> Audio logs you can listen to while walking. The order two. That's all, <laughs> That's it, needs, all it needs. It's totally fixed. So we fixed it. What about you, Rebecca? What do you What do you hope for the sequel? Um, I guess that I, if anything, I just hope that it would exist at some point in time. Um, I'm glad we got to talk about this game because it it, it almost feels very cathartic for me because I um, have been a big fan of this game for a long time, knowing that it's you know deeply flawed, but I really believed in what it could have been and i have kind of stood by my belief that it's definitely a flawed masterpiece like there's just so much about it that's so good and then so much that falls so short or so flat that i i really would like just to see that this story doesn't die because i think it really could be great um like what you both have said and i would hope that if not the original team, that someone who loves it like I do and like they did um, would be able to kind of take the reins and, and make it great. Um, but I don't know. Time will tell. It could be like five years down the road, we'll get the Order 1886 again and it won't be at all related to the previous one, just like what they did to Prey. Yeah. Or it'll be like Wolfenstein 2, but it's really Wolfenstein 15. Or it'll be like God of War, but it's really God of War 5. You know what I mean? Like, who knows with Sony these days right. what'll what'll happen to it. But um, I just hope that the memory sort of lives on. Um, so thanks for talking about this with me and for going with me on this sort of um, adventure. Um, I appreciate you traveling with us today. So next month, Tyler 
is doing. Horizon Zero Dawn will be visiting. I uh, think it's yeah. Utah slash Colorado. Uh, it's the Four Corners. You got your Utah, Colorado, oh, Arizona, and okay. New Mexico. There we go. Post post apocalyptic yes. Four Corners America. Um, I'm really excited for that. Yes, it's gonna be great. Um, so, my name is Rebecca. Um, you can find me on Twitter at, at Rebecca Faye. Tyler, where can they find you? You can find me on Twitter at WorldJumpin. Drop the G. <laughs> and Olivia, where are you at online? Um, I'm on Twitter at LiveJQ. So hit me up there. Awesome. Well, thanks, guys. Until next month, this is Greetings From. Bye. Thanks for listening to Greetings From. Our intro and outro song is an edited version of Deep Fried Space Food by Substitute Sandwiches. You can find a link to the song in the podcast description. You can listen to more episodes of Greetings From at greetingsfrom.zone. We are on Twitter and Twitch at greetingsfrompc. Please do follow us. Thanks for listening and we'll see you next time.